Hello, hello, hello. Hi there. We're the Radical Remnant. Everyone, anyone, one God. Welcome to our podcast channel. Today, we bring you a playback of Sunday's Charge Up. We hope that you listen with your spirit and are blessed. Um, when you hear the word versus, especially recently, especially since COVID, what comes to your mind versus when you hear that term, that terminology, anybody? Things like against. Against, all right. Anybody like in else? competition. A competition, all right. Against a competition. If it says warish, a clash, amazing, amazing. I think of politics. Politics. Mm. That's that's interesting. Interesting. Please please put it in the chat, whatever it is you're thinking. Because remember that every time we bring our worksheets to these sessions, is so that when we're done you have somewhat of a visual representation of what your mind took out before you go into your journal. That's the way that you begin to write your story. That's the way that you begin to put your revelation um, from whatever it is God is saying to you through this conversation, okay? So all these words, feel free to just put them in the chat and put them in your worksheet um, so that when you're reflecting, you can you know, connect the dots as it were. I say this quite often, and um, when I say it, it's not to it's not to create um, an environment of doubt. It's not to create a stifled feeling or a feeling of anxiety. It's just to communicate what I see and how my spirit feels. The world that we live in today is in constant battle. The world that we live in today, you know, I don't know if anybody else sees it, I usually ask you, you know, it's every single day is a battle. Every single day is a clash. Every single day is warish. Every single day has some level of politics, you know, um, has some level of politics in it because you're, if, if you're like me um, as a Christian now, um, you know, wading through and traveling through the world in all your relationships, if you have any semblance of discernment, you, you realize that there's a caution to even be careful with your words. There's a caution to be circumspect with your actions. There's a caution to be careful with where your mind goes. And that is where this term versus for me has been burst from because indeed there's an invisible wall. It is the battle for your mind, this invisible wall. It's the battle for your mind. And, and I'm a firm believer in the fact that a lot of the battles that are fought in our lives individually and in the church collectively start in the mind. It's interesting. And, and I think it's only when we are sat right beside our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that we will fully comprehend the reason why God thought it was a good idea to give us this power of choice. Because if we didn't have this power of choice, this invisible war may not exist. But that battle for your mind is a very vicious battle. And if at all you have been over 
at least the last maybe four months from the beginning of the year, if minimally from the beginning of the year to where we are now. If you went through the boot camp with us as well, if you went through the 12 warrior seasons with us as well, you would know, you will sense it that indeed there is an invisible war and it is vicious. This war is intense. This war feels unrelenting and it is unfair because Satan never plays fair. So when you know now we say this person came for my edges and things like that, but you know, Satan is, is what, you know, I would call an area boy. If you're Nigerian, you know what an area boy is. An area boy is a gangster. An area boy is in the hood. He has no fears. He doesn't care. He's not speaking English with you. He's very focused on what it is that he came to get and he's going to do whatever it takes to get there. He has no feelings, no emotions, not looking at your face, don't care who you are, where you come from. He's just going to get what he wants. And that is how Satan is geared. And now the reason why this war is so very intense is that your greatest asset is your mind. You might say, Lami, you've said this before, we get it while we're going through this whole conversation about the mind again. But please, I, I want to crave your indulgence in just traveling the journey of this conversation with me. There are many pages in scripture that when we look at, we understand that the power of the mind is almost equal to the, the pro production to the value, to the fruitfulness, to the essence of your life. If you look at 2 Corinthians 10, three to five, that's 2 Corinthians 10, three to five. It says, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war against, sorry, though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. In other words, we don't fight with armor. We don't fight with politics. We don't fight with money. We don't fight with all those humanistic tools. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. See the word against there. Please take note of it. It says, we destroy arguments, so arguments are on one side, and every lofty opinion also on that side, raised against the knowledge of God. Again, you know, I told you that I never liked maths, but somehow God helps me visualize the scripture mathematically. So if you, for example, put X and Y, X times Y equals Z, for example, right? Um, or X times Y versus Z, or X times Y, you know, ratio Z, whatever you want to call it. What we're saying is that we destroy arguments and lofty opinions, arguments, lofty opinions, right? <clears throat> Raised against what? The knowledge of God. And take every thought captive to do what? Obey Christ. Now look at the very last phrase in that passage. It says, take every thought captive to obey Christ. Take captive every thought. <laughs> Guys, can we have an honest conversation here? Do you wake up sometimes and 
the thoughts that just flood your mind. You are wondering from where exactly? Do you go through some situations where the word of God is right beside something else, some other argument, some other dialogue that you're wondering, where is it from? And somehow the word of God feels like it's dwindling. It feels like a weak fighter. But then this other voice is prominent. It's loud, it's vicious. Do you guys go through that? You yeah, need you guys definitely. to talk to yes. me because honestly, I, I, I'm a go sleep. <laughs> yes, you, you do. You do? Yes sir. yes, sir. Now, if this is true, if indeed, we want to be honest with ourselves. Even at some of y'all's young ages, and when I say young, it's not to denote or be condescending in any way. It's just to, it, to give this image of chronological um, maturity. Sometimes you wonder and say, it's too much, easy. I, I've not even done anything yet. I didn't set up a church. I didn't start any fellowship. I've not done any, it was all this intensity. Why me? Have you ever been in a situation where you are saying, but God, why me? I'll tell you guys the truth. There are parts of the Bible that even at this my big girl age, I don't like. There's some stories in the Bible I'm really not a fan of. I don't like the story of Job. I actually sincerely don't like it. Why did he have to suffer so much? I don't want to suffer. If you know me very well, you know I keep saying I want this soft life. Soft, JJ, easy, soft. Traveling, eating, you know, exploring the world, touching souls, you know, very Angelina Jolie meets, and I don't know, Jay-Z meets Justin Bieber, doing God's work, JJ, but not, uh, let us be fighting. So many times when I'm talking to God in very casual conversations, I'll say, God, please don't do me like Job. You already know me. Please, I beg, don't do me like Job. But man, as we say now, God came from my edges, came from my wig, came from my name, my chest, my things, my background, my everything scattered. And you know the way God did it, he didn't even let me know it was coming. It's in hindsight. I look back and I said, oh, it's like I'm a Jobeso. Because, yo, <laughs> last four years have been very Job-esque in my life. And I've said this before, but I'm being vulnerable to explain certain things to you so that you keep God's word in your heart and so that you understand what God is saying. At some point, when I looked around and I said, God, it's interesting. This battle that I'm in has absolutely nothing to do with me. I'm being persecuted. I'm being attacked from all sides. And worst of all, I am alone. You know, one of the things that we forget is that being Christian doesn't peel your flesh off. You're still human. You still have feelings. It's one of the reasons why they tell therapists to also have their therapist because you, you also will need somewhere. You know, they always say check on your strong friends. I'm the strong friend and nobody was checking on me. And God said, I want you to understand that everything is fleeting. The love of everyone is fleeting. The love of everyone is conditional. I want you to have just me. And I want your mind, your soul, 
your confidence to be in me and me alone. And so this word versus against, I would like to paint certain pictures for you and hope that in some way you find yourself in what I'm talking about. The Greek word, I'm going to mispronounce this, but I'll try, aikmalotizo, means to control, to conquer, to bring to submission. And that is the word that was used in that phrase to take captive every thought. And I'm going to repeat. It says to control, you probably want to put this in your worksheet, to control, to conquer, to bring into submission. Meaning that we make our mind submit. We make our mind obedient to Christ. We make our thoughts obedient. Our thoughts do not just suddenly appear obedient. It is just like you want to eat rice. The rice, unless you're going for some ready-made meal, in which case you will still have to do some work, put it in the microwave or whatever. Whatever it is, there is a process which involves you making that thought what you want. And in this case, making it obedient to Christ. There's another Greek word, Hupako. I'm hoping I'm pronouncing this right. That means to bring into submission or to bring under control. These were the words that were put in the original text of the scripture that I shared with you. And I know you're saying, let me cute stuff. I hear you, but how do I do that? And how do I begin to teach other people to do that? How do I make my mind mindful, right? I have noticed that my mind doesn't mind. My mind doesn't mind anything sometimes. Sometimes, you know, I start somewhere and by the time I catch my mind, we've gone all over the place and I'm wondering, ah, where did I even start? What was the original thought? It is often very disobedient. I've had to understand literally what Paul meant when he said, I beat myself into submission. Now I understand that I need to ask the Holy Spirit consistently to invade me, to have, you know, just take, do me how you want, because guess what? I don't even understand what's happening anymore, literally in my life. So Holy Spirit, please just go ahead, do what you want to do. Because if you leave it to me, you leave it to my mind, you leave it to my feelings, I will die. And the death may not be the kind of death that we understand. It will be that I am existing. I am breathing, but I am not fulfilling purpose. And to me, that is death. So when I want to think a certain way, and I want something to go a different way, when I want my mind to stop wandering, when I need to pray, and I want my thoughts to go in the direction of God, I start to understand that it is an intense battle. Because if I don't think about it that way, what will happen is that I will trivialize the journey my mind goes on. I will trivialize the words that I speak to myself subconsciously. I will trivialize the power in the word God has put in my heart. And I will subconsciously increase the volume of lies, increase the volume of insecurity, increase the volume of accusations, increase the volume of anxiety, increase the volume of everything that is there except the truth that God wants me to pay attention. And so there's a battle, God's way versus the world's way. And I think it's rather heartbreaking what we as a people have actually become. It's heartbreaking 
There are many, many things that are against each other in our lives, and I'm going to go through some of them, the core ones that I've been led to share. The first is purpose versus preference. Purpose versus preference. I will give you quick examples, and I apologize if you're not familiar with these stories. I would ask that the quickest way for you would be to go on Google and just search these Bible stories. Trust me, don't be ashamed. There are some things that I allow myself to watch the children's version, just so I can get the gist of some things. And then when you have time, you go back and be a big girl, wear a big boy, big girl pants, and go and read the real one that has divine and that. But for now, please just go with the gist of the story. When we look at the story of Noah, Noah, in the midst of the desert, was instructed by God to build an ark, to build a ship that would stay a formidable refuge for those who would believe, right? And was to build the ark. And I think one of the most interesting things about that was Noah was giving very specific instructions about the um about the measurements and the, and, and, you know, the design of the ark. So he wasn't just asked to do something that made absolutely no sense. He was given an instruction, a senseless instruction, if you will, with details. Let me give you an example. When I was in secondary school for a spell in Nigeria before I came here, there was a, 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 um, a senior who bullied me. We're friends now, so it's okay. There was a senior who bullied me. And I was really tiny. You can tell by looking at me that I was probably always the shortest in my class. I'm quite brief. So because I was tiny, I was obviously an easy target. So she called me at the end of school one day and she told me, she said, I want you to go and fetch water. And she, I don't know if you guys have ever seen this madness before. I want you to fetch water. And there was a big pail of like this huge gargantuan bucket that was probably my height. She said, I want you to fetch water and put it here. And I stood there and I was thinking, maybe I'll ask my friend to go with me. You know, the bucket didn't even have handles. It was one of those impossible tasks. I said, Kisha, I shall carry the bucket. And she said, no, leave the bucket here. She gave me a teaspoon and she said, she wants me to go to the other building. Yeah, feel free to unmute your microphone. So today is that kind of day. You know, she wants me to go to the other building, put the water in the teaspoon and be coming. Of course, the story didn't end well. It ended maybe about the third try. I probably burst out crying, you know, and thought, what is this? And then, you know, I have a sharp mouth. Jesus is still working on me, but my mouth, you know, if the unsafe part of my mouth, if it starts to communicate, things will not be good. So I know I got at it with her and I told her off and I said, if she wants, she can't tell the principal. I didn't come here to fetch water and I left. But I feel like what God asked most, uh, Noah to do was like this assignment build the ark. Do you guys know that there was no Google that time? There was no Postmates. There was no Uber. There was no technology. He's not if he had a staff and a factory. He had his children, who obviously at first thought he was what? Mad. But that was his purpose. And he obeyed. I am very sure that Noah had plans. He had other things he wanted to do. You know, if I understand correctly, he was even a farmer. You know, he just used to build boats as for hobby. Get, and then all of a sudden, hobby became purpose, right? And he did what God asked him to do in spite of. You look at the story versus Noah. God told Noah, go to Nineveh, give them a message, tell them this, tell them that. Who can tell me what Noah did? Anybody, 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 anybody. Noah picked race. He was like, ain't nobody. He was like, eh, bro. Nineveh, like, how I understand you. And he picked race. And he left. And you know what is so funny about Noah is that I'm wondering where he thought he was going. It's like those uh, cop movies, those cop series, right? I always wonder, particularly in the States, when people run from the police, you know, they'll say, hands up, stay right there. And then the person will just start running. I'm wondering, where are you going? They will catch you. It's like 10 of them, they have cars, they have cameras. Where are you? Why are you dense? They will just hands up. And, and, no, and um, uh, Jonah is exactly like those people you see in those dense situations, running away from the cops. Because God is the biggest investigative journalist. God is the biggest police. His eyes are everywhere. Do you understand? So when Jonah decided he was running, of course it didn't work out. You know, he went, you know, Nigerians would say, he went cackly, cackly, was just going. You know, what's happening? He's just turning. He was just going, turning on. He was just going, going, going. Until he shot found himself in the belly of a whale. And then, story in fact, he found himself, big story, because he didn't obey. He went to confuse some other people. So, some people were technically going somewhere. He entered their boat. There was stung. So, perhaps in your life, check around for if there's a Jonah in your life that is causing stomach times. Hallelujah. I digress. Back to the story. In doing all of this running around, he not only messes up his life, wastes time, disobeys God, but he messes up the lives of other people. And God, having mercy, gave him a second chance to fulfill the purpose. And we thank God that he did. And he got the chance to do so. But I don't know that that is always the case. And so this is a versus of purpose versus preference. And what I'm trying to say to you today is that many, 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 many times God's purpose for your life will never look like your preference. Many, many times it will be an interruption. Many, many times he's going to ask you to be bold and courageous and stand in front of people you've never met before and say something that sounds daft. And he's going to watch you not do it. And when you don't do it, he will show you why it was important for you to do it. And so this is him sending me to tell you that anytime you find your preference conflicting with God's purpose in your life, choose his purpose. Because your preference leads nowhere. It's empty. It's foolish. You can't see the beginning from the end. God is the Alpha and Omega. You know, there's that song that says, you, uh, you know, you hold it all together right so he's your alpha he's your omega he's the beginning he's the end he's in the middle he's in the details he's in your feelings he's in your anxiety he's in your past he's in your shame he knows the details there's nothing you're hiding from him follow the purpose the second verses would be preview versus review if you look at the story of moses even from the way he was born you could tell that there was something different about the trajectory of his life moses clearly was anointed from the beginning god separated him unto himself when the time came for moses to go and speak to the israelites god gave moses a preview 
of what he was going to do. At each point, Moses would go away and he would see the face of God. God would say, this and this will happen. I want you to do this. Bring this out. When you do this, this is what is going to happen. If you then look at Peter, Peter had the preview and he had a review. Why am I saying this? If you go to Luke chapter 22, verse 31, it says, Oh, Simon, Simon, do you not know that Satan has asked to have you all to sift like wheat? But I have prayed for you that you might not lose your faith. Yes, when you have turned back, turned back means what's reverse. Turn back is like the review, right? When you have hindsight, when you come back to your senses, when you reroute, when you are redeemed, when you reposition, when you basically get your common sense back. When you have turned back to me, you must strengthen these brothers of yours. So God, Jesus is, is interested. He's not telling him this is going to happen, but I've stopped it. Do you understand? He's also not saying this is going to happen, but you'll overcome it. He's saying you're going to fall. You're going to mess up. Your mess up will be televised. Don't worry about it. But when you gather yourself and come back, this is what I want you to do. How many of you have fallen before? Is everybody here a saint? Me, I've fallen like your know, people say, Bokiti. I've fallen, you know, those falls that are just not cute. Your leg will be scattered, everything flailing in the air. People are laughing. Things fall out of your purse. You know, and you're wearing high heels and you're walking like this before. Suddenly you miss your step. You fail. Everybody's like, what's happening? You know, your sunglasses break. That kind of thing. And there are cameras and videos. Have you ever fallen in a way that you wish was private? You wish it was just you and the Holy Spirit. So you could go to your bed and say, hey, Holy Spirit, oh, this is what I did. Actually, please, just cover my shame. Cover my shame. Ah! Holy Spirit, to say, tell me what you did. You say, you know now. Because shame is catching you even to listen. Open your mouth to say, you, you, Holy Spirit, you, you were there with me. You saw where I went. And when I went there, you saw what I did. What did you do? Ah, Holy Spirit, this took me for me. You saw me. Just help me to come. Will I come out now? And Holy Spirit, say, what? How did you enter in the first place? Ah, Holy Spirit, you yourself know. Are you not God? How am I helping to remove myself from this booster I have put myself in? How many of you have goofed like that? Was everybody here just straight lace proper? All right, great. We have some real people in the house. Now, you know what's interesting? Peter denying Jesus had no sense to it. Peter was Jesus' nigger. Peter was the right-hand man. Matter of fact, it's just like some of you that are in the TRR team going somewhere and they're like, I got Lammy Phillips, that's stupid girl, something, something. She's like this, she's like that, she's the one that did this. And you just say, ha! Ah! Hmm. In fact, I've even been Then they say, ah, are you not say radical words? I say radical words. No, 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 I'm not me. I don't know how, but I saw you in the picture. It wasn't me. Let me see the picture. Uh -huh. That's so you believe this thing. That's the example. But obviously on a deeper level. Because Peter slept with, ate with, communed with, prayed with, sacrificed with, saved with, did everything with Jesus. But when it came to that period where he was supposed to have audacity, he cowered. And that is kind of like what I just gave as an example. It's kind of what I was talking about earlier in terms of just me being vulnerable and saying what hurt my feelings. And I can't imagine that even as Jesus saw that. Because, you know, Jesus was still flesh. We forget. We think of everything. Jesus would just let it and be going. No, it hurt his feelings, I'm sure. That the person that was his person was also trying to align with other people. And when he came down to it, when he needed somebody to say, I know Jesus, and I know that he's the son of, he's the son of God, and da 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 he doesn't say, I don't know Jesus. It wasn't once, it was five, it was three times. And probably with his chest up as well, and beating his chest, and looking at the person and saying, ah, what are you saying? It must have hurt Jesus' feelings. Just the same way I expressed to you earlier on that my feelings were hurt. The interesting thing, though, is that Peter obeyed the Lord. He went back and he strengthened people. He didn't just fall. Do you understand? He had a preview. And then when he looked at the review, when he looked at his rare view, when he had hindsight, when he realized he had goof, when he realized he had messed up, let me tell you, you and I probably wouldn't even go back to church. Let's be honest. That kind of goof, everybody knew about it. We are still talking about it in 2022. You won't go back. You won't go back because you'd be ashamed. If you did that to me and it was public, like let's say maybe someone just releases one caption of, let's say, uh, uh, Tekena. Someone just, I mean, you know, she's just, she's just a bit dark, but you know, just because of life. Sometimes I just matter with her. But you know, I don't even know what she's doing in that. But, you know, someone releases some, Do you think Tekena, how would she come back to talk to me? You will take a lot. You probably maybe send you people one by one by one. They send me one day, Tekena, all of you will not come with drama. They send me something like that. You will not become village square meeting. But Peter did what God told him to do. He came back and he strengthened others. Many of us, we don't have that comeback dancer spirit in it. Many of us, accusation, shame, guilt, all that stuff. We don't like, well, I'll just do Jesus and stuff in my room. But really, really, it's because you don't get face. You don't have the chest to come back and say, I messed up. And guess what? Out of all this mess, I'm going to find purpose. I'm going to strengthen others so they don't make the same mistake. It's interesting that Jesus still used Peter. And that's why they say that upon this rock, I will be my church. Are you a rock? Because you know that this rock is in two ways. God said that if I don't find people to do what praise me, the rocks will do what? The same way God said upon this rock, I will build my church. Me, I told you before, I'm the rock. I am rock. I'm rubbish. I'm nonsense. I'm the remnant. But I'm radically ready to do whatever God asks me to do. Because guess what? I am the best. They've taken everything from me. They finished. Everybody's coming for everything. But what they cannot take is God. They cannot take my conviction. They cannot take my salvation. They cannot take my redemption. They cannot redo what Christ did on the cross. And guess what? That's the thing they want the most. Because if they can get to my mind and convince me that what God said is not true, then that's the most Christ thing. It's not my name. It's not my followers. It's not my stardom or celebrity status. It's not my album. It's not my awards. It's not my degrees. It's not my friends. It's my mind. Just the same way for Peter, it must have been a mind thing, an intense mind thing. 
Another verses that I'd like to share with you today is plan versus pray. If you look at Paul, when he was Saul, you see, in many ways, Saul had a plan how he was going to bring these Jesus folk, these Jesus fanatics down. If you also study Paul or Saul when he became Paul, you will see that he became more of a, of a radical follower of Christ. You could tell that Paul would be a very in-the-moment person. I don't know if you can tell when you read scripture that Paul probably was that kind of person that as we're talking, maybe all of us were physically in one room, right? This kind of person that would say, guys, let's just, let's just go to Manchester. Let's go and pray for some people. He's that kind of person. Paul is the kind of person who put all his money together, sell his car, sell all his clothes, everything, and just say, guys, God just said we should bless this person. Do you understand? But before salvation, he was a planner. He had a plan. There was stuff that he wanted to do to bring people down. He had his plan very clear in his head about what he was going to do. Also, when you look at the story of the wall of Jericho, the people of Jericho were aware of the intentions of the people of Israel and they took steps. After crossing the Jordan, the king of Jericho ordered that the gates of the wall be closed. God commanded Joshua to go around the walls of Jericho for six days, once every day, and seven times on the seventh day. This is in Joshua 6, and I just want to read it quickly for you. Verse 4 says, have seven, have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. Verse 5, when you hear them sound a long blast of trumpets, have all the people give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse, and the people will go up every man straight in. Verse 6, so Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and have seven priests carry the trumpets in front of it. Seven. And he ordered the people, ordered the people, advance, march around the city with the armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. I'm going to skip to verse 20. When the trumpet sounded, the people shouted, and at the end of the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged right in, straight in. They took the city. Guys, this is a plan versus pray situation. Has God ever given you an instruction? Has he given you expo before that? If you told anybody, they'll think you've lost your mind. Have you found yourself in situations where doing God's will went completely against all the plans that someone had for you, maybe even your parents, maybe even friends? You know, it went against the grain of what people thought you should be doing. But you knew that God told you to do it. And so you went for it. Guys, I'll give you an example. Very honest. Some of you were at the relationship hangout and um, we met my, my boyfriend and we had conversations. I said my boyfriend because he has to be to see me every day. So it's not as if you give me a ring and then that's the end. God forbid. Anyway, to the point. Look, some of you asked me, why did I pick him? I had that question asked, as Nigerians would say, severally. And the simple answer is, God told me to. I would like to give an answer that makes me sound wise and all-knowing and insightful and discerning and, you know, very Proverbs 31-like, which is another part of the Bible that I'm not too sure I like, but it's Desha, so therefore we have to what obey. But God told me to. And I tell you that while we were dating, my friends abandoned me. Some members of family said, you're crazy. Where is this person from? Who are they? What have they accomplished, you know? Because, you know, pedigree. You know, Nigerian society, you want to say, you know, if you have, have anybody here been for those Nigerian Oambes? Have you heard the parents talk about it? So I'm just going to throw some names out. I don't know these people, but I'm just going to throw it out. I don't even know if these, these names exist. But they say, ah, Shemomo, uh, James, Omafe, uh, Omokoku, okay. Ah, what does that mean? Do you know the children of ABC? Ah, this person is marrying this person, meaning these two big families are coming together. We need to be there. And really, that was supposed to be the trajectory. That was the plan for me. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? So from where did I go and find this person? Who is this person? What has he done? Where are their family? I don't understand. And so it made no sense. It was like me and this Jericho wall. There was no backing. You were there when you told you at first it was at McDonald's, right? So you know I'm not, at least I'm not giving you guys just facts of life. He didn't have anything. It didn't make any sense. He wasn't from any of the schools that were the kind of schools that married. Look, I went to Rodin. So we went, to, we went with boys that went to eat and that went to, you get what I'm trying to say. So hello, where did you go? New Ham College. How? It's not blending. Okay, Nigeria, where did you go? Maryland, Maryland Comprehensive. It's still not blending. Where did you go from me? But, oh dear. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Now, when God gives you, when God gives you his plan, but you, but sorry, when you have a plan and God tells you this is what you're supposed to do, when you find yourself in a situation where your planning is conflicting with your praying, as you pray, God speaks to you, doesn't he? Unless people are doing monologue with God. When you pray, it's supposed to be a conversation. You're supposed to talk, someone God will talk. Sometimes it's God talking, sometimes you talking. Do you get what I mean? Well, God has spoken to me during prayer. And so it was very obvious when I met this person that this is who I'm supposed to marry. I tell you, I do not even want to for a second imagine what my life would have been like if I married somebody else. I still wouldn't be married. Given. Just given. Because guess what? I'm an artist. Do you understand what happens in my industry? Please tell me. Name one. One, I dare you, Nigerian who has been married. Nigerian artist who has been married longer than five years. Please shock me and name the person. Doesn't exist. I stand alone and I stand on Christ. 17 years in the bad and it doesn't feel like 17. That is the difference between planning and praying. I think I deserve some yelling Okay. Another versus. Reveal versus conceal. Where am I going? If any of you have fallen, I know we talked about falling before, you know, the kind of fall that is not gracious, the kind of fall with the shame, the kind of fall where you are just like, oh dear, what did I do? 
if any of you have been in a David situation, a Psalm 51 kind of vibe. How many Psalm 51ers do I have? Anybody, 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 anybody said Psalm 51 with your chest. You know, you know, I told you guys, let me read Psalm 51 is with tears. <laughs> I guess the only I like it. I don't see what you said that you may be justified. Oh, a broken and a country. We know, we know it, we know it, we know it because we said it more than once. And then when we finish, you say, I won't do that thing again. And you come back again and you know the Psalm 51 by heart because <laughs> the goof has refused to leave you. You see, the beautiful thing about David is that he didn't hide his goof. He went before God and he said, Help me. This is what I've done. A broken and a contrite heart you will not despise. Let's look at what Adam did. When Adam goofed, you know, one of the things that God asked him is, where are you? Do you think when God said, where are you, God didn't know where he was? It wasn't a where are you as by location. It was a where are you as in, where is the person I created? What happened to you? And Adam took the fig leaves, him and his babe, and they tried to cover up the nest, right? And many times when we go before God, you know, thou Lord art merciful, and I come to you, Lord, and I thank you for what you've done, and I thank you for your grace, I thank you for your mercy, and we go to church, and on Sunday, best, and we speak thou thine day, and we come out all beautiful and perfect. But the mess is still there. God does not see what you use to cover yourself. He sees your heart. So you have the option in this battle against the mind to either reveal it completely like David or conceal it like Adam. And when you do, you will find that you are lost. Because if you wasn't lost, God wouldn't say, where are you? Many of you know what it means to be lost. There are many times in your walk with Christ when you just feel lost. You can't put your finger on it. You really can't even sometimes trace it back. But you know that things are not aligned. You know that your zest for God is different. You know how you, know, you, you can marry, you can put it right beside and contrast with when you would wake up and pray, when God will speak to you and you will know. You can put it right beside when you, you get discernment, when you get revelation, prophecy. And you know now that you're kind of just chilling. But nobody knows, right? Because you concealed it. You show up for charge up. You read the prayers. You know, you show up on time. You show up for boot camp and prayers and recharge and whatnot. And everybody references you as the model Christian. But God can't see. There is no hiding from God. His eyes search the beginning to the ends of the earth. See, God is the original gangster. He is not Scarface. He's not Al Pacino. He's not some kind of Godfather. He's the OG. There's nothing the devil can do. The devil is a computer loader. He's a mess. He's a bedwetting monkey. He doesn't know anything. That is why he's always trying to give a counterfeit. And a counterfeit can only exist in the presence of the original. We serve the original. When you find yourself concealing, you are going towards the counterfeit. When you find yourself in a place where you know you need to be revealing to God. You are in the presence of the original. In that same line, another verse would be shame versus saved. And I'm bringing what I want to, all what I have to say to a close. If we look at the story of Peter, if we look <laughs> at the story of Lamy, if we look at the story of some of us here, and if you want to add your name, just use time and put your hand up because um, there's no shame in my salvation. If we look at those stories, for each person that God wants to use, the enemy will accuse. For each person. You see, what the enemy wants to use to mess you up is what God wants to utilize in giving you a message, in, in, in tailoring your purpose to the people he has called you to. I was talking yesterday with someone. I just want to share something that I said very, very quickly. I wasn't going to, but, you know, um, in this conversation, it just came to me. I said, <clears throat> God will allow challenges and difficult situations to happen sometimes as a part of your growth process, as a part of your destiny journey. You cannot teach what you don't know, and you cannot lead where you have not been. You cannot heal what you haven't been wounded by. You cannot forgive when you yourself have never needed forgiveness. God allows trash to be thrown in your face so you can see life. You see, trash is like, you know, when um, they put like Marie clay on your eyes, he allows trash to be thrown in your face. Trash being abuses, neglection, accusation, persecution, whatever you want to call it. He allows it to be thrown in your face so you can see life, so you can see the world, you can see people for who they are and not expect more from them without being bitter, still abiding in love and relating 
in kindness. So get busy with your life. Get obsessed with your purpose. Go deeper in God's love. When you are busy living your life as God intended, you have no space, time, or anything. You have no resources to hate, to hurt, to envy, compare, or be bitter. In the thick of it, don't inhale the nonsense. In the thick of it, don't inhale the distractions. In the thick of it, don't inhale the lies. Don't inhale the distractions. Don't inhale the things that they are throwing at you. Don't inhale the things that are around you. Because if you're going through fire, it is very important that you don't inhale the smoke because most of the time it is the smoke inhalation that kills, not the fire. And perhaps what God is doing in your life is making you fireproof. Why am I sharing that with you? When I say shame versus saved, every morning when you wake up, you pick the one that you are. Jesus says that he came to give us life. But not just life. Life what? Anybody. Anybody. Fullness. Huh? Life in its fullness. There's another version that says life more abundantly. I like the word abundant because it means it's plenty. Do you understand? Jesus came to give us life, life more abundantly. But tell me, the enemy came to do what? To kill, steal, to destroy. Another name for the enemy is the accuser. Anytime somebody calls you something that God hasn't called you, know that it is not from God. It is from the accuser because God will call you saved. God will call you favored. God will call you my child. God will call you apple of my eye. God will call you my beautiful child. God will call you fearlessly and wonderfully made. God will call you purpose. God will call you favored. God can only only call you good things. So when the voice comes that speaks shame, you have to be very careful what you do with that voice. You take it captive and you put it in the bin where it belongs. Guys, you guys know that a really big deal right now is mental health. Everyone is struggling with their mental health. It's, it's just like synonymous with being alive. Mental comes from mind. Do you understand? People aren't talking so much about their physical health anymore. The battle is in the mind. And every morning you wake up, you decide which one you are. Because guess what? There's no, it's not like before. It's not business as usual anymore. It's not like, you know, you get saved and then you go to a nice church and they say, guys, we just want to pray for Abigail. Abigail's doing her exams. Abigail, we're just praying that you get, you, you feel love and you feel secure and good things just come to you, Abigail. Hallelujah. And everybody just gives like a, <laughs> and you know, Abigail just reapplies her lipstick and goes, it is the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. That is what it is every day now. Guess what? In the olden times, you could go to church, you could fast 40 days, 40 nights, you could do the whole Lent thing, and it would be like some kind of cover for the year. But now you need to pray, you need to be discerning, you need to be awake, you need to be alert. And guys, I feel so bad that I'm saying it to you at this stage in your lives, because it feels like I'm saying don't enjoy yourselves. Please, that's not what I'm saying. If you know me, that is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying, though, is you need to be awake, you need to be circumspect, you need to watch and see how your feet are being ordered, how your thoughts are being ordered, how your relationships are being ordered, how your tweets, your posts, your followers, your dislikes, your blocks, your delays 
leads, your snaps, everything, TikTok, how is it being ordered? How does it align with the will of God? Does it show that you are saved or are you still in shame? Because most of the time, most of us think that the way to be humble is to embody the shame. Because when you embody the shame, you know, it's just like somehow they say, you know, when people um, don't want anybody to abuse them, they quickly talk about the thing. So for example, if maybe your, your shirt is torn and you walk into a room and people are, are looking at you before they talk, you know, to cover your shame, you say, yeah, 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 I know my shirt is torn. So many times what the enemy does is that he makes us think that by, by, by accepting the shame and projecting the shame, we are being humble. It's a lie from the pits of hell. You have no shame. That's the whole point why Jesus came and did what he did. You should walk like a child of God, confidently, because if you're in your father's house, I can't come and start challenging you. I can't say to you, uh -uh, hello, Eri, why are you in your father's house? No, it's your house. And even if you break something, it's still your father, it's not my father. Do you understand what I'm saying? So nobody should make you feel shame. You should walk confidently as a child of God. This is a big deal because many Christians find themselves in a cycle of rededicating their lives, rededicating their lives, rededicating their lives, going back to the altar, perpetually saying, God, please forgive me. And God is thinking, what are we even talking about? This thing happened last year. This thing happened five minutes ago. This thing happened five years ago. You asked for forgiveness. I gave it to you. Can we move on? But the enemy is wanting to remind you that, mm -hmm, Jonathan, you know me, I know what you did. In fact, if you're not careful, next week I can decide to start talking about it. I know social media is now the big thing. So yeah, Jonathan, will not, sorry, Jonathan, I'm not like targeting you, just like an example, you know, I love you. You know, Jonathan will now be looking around thinking, let me not be too loud about this Jesus thing because as of the day, I would just want to really talk about Jesus. Some person will just enter my comment and say, you, are you not the one that, da, 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 da. no, you see, that means you are living in fear. And the Bible says that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of love, of peace, of sound mind. And guys, most of us, our minds are not sound. Second to the last verses, agreement versus covenant. You see, when somebody, when a friend, family, whoever makes an agreement with you, they can still mess up. They can still mess up. But when God makes a covenant with you, like he did with Abraham, when God makes a covenant with you, like he did through the blood of Jesus, he keeps it. This is a very simple one. I don't even need to like sit on it for too long. But I thought it was very important to understand what are you basing your trust on? Because for many of us, we're basing a lot of our plans and a lot of our future is based on what people think, what people have said, what people's opinions are. And that's how we're gravitating. Just like Peter, you see, Peter forgot. He was thinking about how he was going to please people. So he didn't want to claim Jesus. Did you get? But immediately he realized that what he had done was wrong. Same thing kind of happened to Judas. Even though Judas's was a bit more extreme, he even collected money, made a little bit of money from his hoof, right? But he went ahead and killed himself. Now, killing himself is symbolic of what we would do every single time when we think we mess up, right? Peter going back is what we should do. And so I would like for all of you in, in your daily activities to think about being people of integrity. You see, where I am now, I have no shame in telling you I don't trust anybody. This whole debacle has messed with my trust. I don't trust anybody. I always think, you know, everybody's fickle. You know, it's uh, God is working on me, but I don't trust people because 
I've seen some of the people who I don't think should be doing certain things, following certain people, contributing to certain certain arguments, and I'm just being two-faced. And if you know me, I don't I don't react well to that. I'm I'm a loyal person. I'm loyal to a fault. So I don't even need context. It's not good. It's not necessarily a good thing. But if, for example, someone I haven't physically met before, like Faith tells me somebody is trying her, I don't need Faith to give me context. I'm just going to want to go up there and start trouble because that's how I am. And so when I don't get that reciprocated, it hurts my feelings. But the truth of the matter is I want to challenge you to be people of integrity, be loyal to something, be loyal to people, be loyal to the truth not your truth. That's something that we all created in the last goodness knows how many years. I want to preach my truth. Who gave you truth to preach? There is only one truth and that is Jesus. There's only one truth. And so many times you have to ask yourself, are you on the side of the truth or is it hard for you to speak the truth because you don't want to look a certain type of way? Last, but certainly not the least, is Jesus versus them. You see, some of you will find yourself in the hour, in the ninth hour, just like Jesus felt when he was on the cross. There will be different situations that may be the thing that have pushed you towards Christ. And then I'm wrapping up my message now. You would remember your brokenness. You remember the day you decided to give your life to Christ. Different situations would have pushed you towards understanding that you couldn't do life by yourself. In Matthew 27, verse 46, it says, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabkatini. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Hmm. Man, I understand a little bit. I understand a little bit. I can't say I understand really because I've never been put on a cross before. But I feel like I understand a little bit. And if you were in the, at the beginning of the conversation where I said, I didn't used to sing those songs that talked about knowing Jesus in the fellowship of his suffering. Guess what? I now know it. I can write a book on it. And I want to say to you that if our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, being in flesh, stayed on that cross, you know, when we think about crucifixion, we talk about it like it happened within five minutes. We talk about it like it happened within one hour. It was long. It was completely embarrassing. It was debasing. It was emasculating. It was, it was horrible. It was breaking. It lasted a long time. But Jesus Christ stayed as long as he needed to because every single drop of blood that he shed had your name, had my name, had our name, had his promises, had his forgiveness, had his cover, had his protection, had the purpose, had this community on it. And he had to stay as long as it took to make sure that as many of us came under that umbrella of his blood would be saved. And so many times you'll find yourself in a position where you have to pick Jesus or them. 
It may be at work, at school, at church even, because sometimes church folk be the worst. It may be at a party, maybe in your family. It may be between you and the voices in your head. It may be between you and that voice that has somehow started sounding like yours, but isn't saying what God is saying. But I want to remind you, Philippians 2 verse 12 says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You see, Jesus was alone. Nobody volunteered to say, ah, my savior, I'm with you. You guys don't put that last nail, let me take it. Nobody, he was alone. And there will be times in your life, if not right now, where you understand what it is to be alone. There will be times in your life that may not be as excruciatingly embarrassing as salvation and the cross, but you just feel alone. You feel like nobody understands you. You wish you had a friend you could talk to. You wish you had somebody you could call. You wish you knew somebody who knew Jesus too and understood the way you felt and understood your feelings, your journey, your history, your family, your preferences, your shortcomings. You wish you had that person in the physical to talk to, but you are alone. And that is why Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because God was that person for Jesus. And at that point, Jesus felt alone. This was his ninth hour. All of us on this conversation will have ninth hour seasons. We will have ninth hour seasons. We will have ninth hour discussions. We will have ninth hour situations. We will have ninth hour arguments. We will have ninth hour issues where you look daft, you look foolish, you look wicked, just the same way I look right now. And you'll be tempted to think God has forsaken you. He has not. He is working out your salvation. He's making sure you are alone because it's the only time that you can hear his voice and not be distracted. Remember what I said about being fireproof. Guess what? I'm sure you've seen those series, those um, movies where there's a fire and they say the person died of smoke inhalation. It wasn't the fire that killed them. It was inhaling all the smoke. People will blow smoke up your nether regions if they can. They will tell you lies. They will gaslight you. They will confuse you, distract you. Remember last week I said, if the enemy cannot destroy you, he will do what? Distract you. And if you check how much of your time you spend being distracted, you understand that that same amount is the equivalent ratio to how much the enemy is trying to destroy you. And why are they trying to distract you? Because you are closer to that breakthrough. You are closer to becoming. You are closer to that revelation. You're closer to winning. You're closer to being you know, to leveling up. There's certain things you've been saying to God, I want to be better at this. I want to conquer this. I want to break this addiction. I want to do this. I want to do that. But those things don't come out of comfortable places. They come out of dark, lonely spaces. They come out of you fighting. And that's why Jesus said, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, i.e. go and sort yourself out, i.e. each malam to his kettle, each saint, each saint to his Bible. I can't pray you out of it. I can't pray you to be fireproof. You have to go through it. I have to go through mine. Same way I'm alone, you will be alone sometimes. But in that, in that situation, the Bible says, even if you walk through the waters, they will not overwhelm you. If you walk through the fires, they won't set you ablaze. That's God making you fireproof. Walk through it gangsterly. God is with you. 
Don't look around. Don't wait for people to come with you. Don't worry about the followers. Don't worry. When it's time, they will all want to tell you how, oh, you know, I went to school with Ife. And she even used to sit beside me. They won't remember when you were in the fire. They won't remember when it was tough. So instead of you looking around and wanting people to come where you are going, instead of you waiting for the applause of men and forgetting that the only audience is God, instead of you going back and forth, being double-minded and being unstable, you set your face like flint. You set your face like flint. You focus. Because you see, this versus thing is a battle. We talked in the beginning. I said, what is versus? Some of you said again. Some of you said war. It's a war for your mind. What are you feeding your mind? You see those ideas in your mind, the talents, the gifts, all those things, they're for you to sow. And when you sow, you don't sow in the open. You've never seen anybody calling a party at the beginning of the, of the sowing season. It's when there's a harvest. That's when everybody wants to be affiliated with you. So as you are sowing, remember that you need to also nurture. You need to water those seeds. You need to nurture it with prayer, nurture it with worship. Worship is your best weapon. The Bible says the Lord inhabits our praise. If you need God to come close to you, you praise him. Praise him in the middle of your circumstance. Praise him as they're throwing trash in your face. Praise him as they call you things. Praise him as it's only you. Praise him even though they said you're ugly. Praise him even though you don't have, just praise him and see if he will not show up. Because you see, what you guys are going through is different. People are different. People aren't polite anymore. I see some of the things that people say online, and I wonder how are people so vile? I see people easily say, and you, sometimes you guys don't even know you are part of the problem. Because you see that person and say, ah, this person is not fine. Ah. That's someone. Ah, that person is just fat. I'm guilty. I'm not name calling. I do these things as well. We need to stop it. The words that are coming out of your mouth are powerful to the pulling down of strongholds. Speak life into people. Speak positivity. Speak productivity into people. Be different. Pay compliments even if people don't like you. Pay compliments. Do good things. Sow goodness. You cannot reap where you have not sown. You want people to respect you. Respect other people. You want people to show you some, some semblance of adoration. Adore other people. Start something new. Let your generation, let this community be known for a fire, a fire that is pure, love that is, is pure. Let this community change the narrative. Your generation is all about who's popular, who's in. And that's why some people are killing themselves. That's why some people are suicidal. Please stop it. You have to be one of those people who looks out for the person nobody notices. You have to be one of those people who's, who, who makes her platform or his platform somewhere that people go to a refuge. Like Noah built the ark, you build your ark. Yes, it may be digital, but it's an ark nonetheless. Do people come to you when they are broken? Do people come to you when they don't need judgment? Or are you our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that makes people feel bad? Guys, the biggest issue that you will face as a Christian is the battle for your mind because the Bible says, as a man what thinks, so is he. You are what you think. You are how you think. You are who you think you are. Thank you for listening. We hope you were blessed by that. For more wholesome, edifying content and to learn more about us, please head over to our Instagram page at The Radical Remnant. 
Also, join us live for Charge Up on Sunday. We've reserved a spot just for you. All the details can be found on our Instagram. Once again, we're the Radical Remnant. Everyone, anyone, one God.